Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. tuned into sci-fi fidelity once again and it's time for another bonus episode during our season four hiatus season five like i've mentioned a few times is coming back in september but before then we do have another interview mashup for you we did one for killjoys at the beginning of the month and this time it's for the expanse because we did have the opportunity to talk to a number of cast members and crew members from that show early on. In fact, Dominique Tipper, who plays Naomi Nagata on The Expanse, was our very first interview way back in episode one of Sci-Fi Fidelity. And back then, who knew that The Expanse would be such a big part of the sci-fi landscape and one of my favorite shows in particular, and Dave's uh, currently getting caught up in the show and and enjoying it as well. We also spoke to Naren Shankar about the show back in season two, uh, not only of this podcast, but also season two of The Expanse. And Naren Shankar is, of course, the showrunner of The Expanse, and he brings such a great scientific background. And his answers to the questions in that interview were among my favorite of all time, just because he was so well-spoken and gave just such great answers, just exactly what I was expecting at the time to hear about all the different realistic aspects of the show. But guess what? That's not all we have for you today. We also have some brand new content. So this isn't entirely a rerun this week. We have new interview audio to share with you from Sheree Agdashlu, who plays Christian Afisarala on The Expanse, and from Frankie Adams, who plays Bobby Draper. They were actually together during a press junket in Germany, and I was able to call into that while they were in the same room together. So there will actually be some conversation between the two actors. So please stick around for that. Not only because it's a lot of fun, but also because it's new, it's new content during the hiatus. And uh, that's definitely something that I'm hoping you guys will enjoy. So we're going to start off with a clip from our very first interview on sci-fi fidelity. I'm so happy that Dominique Tipper holds that honor (laughs) as our first interviewee. And she's going to talk a little bit about, Naomi as the logical one in the crew of the Rosinante, as opposed to Holden's more emotional side, which kind of flips gender expectations and how she really enjoyed that about the character. And then Naren Shankar is going to talk to us a little bit about his background as a scientist and a writer on some of our favorite space sci-fi before The Expanse, Farscape and Star Trek. First of all, I have to say, and this I don't think I'm alone in this, Naomi is definitely my favorite character on this series so far. <laughs> and I think that's going to be Thank a very you. common thing. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> now, she is the only female on the crew. What's that like for her character? It's funny, I was thinking about this today, and I think what's interesting about Naomi, and, and mostly her and Holton's relationship, is that 
the kind of more emotional side of someone is normally connected with their more feminine side. And I think what's interesting about Naomi and Holden is that he is emotional. Like, he acts off impulses. He very much is a spur-of-the-moment guy, and she's very logical. And so I kind of love the dynamic between them where you have the female being the more logical person and making um, decisions that are a lot more based on the well-being of everyone rather than being emotional. And I, I love that essence of her character and that side that because she's female, she hasn't just been written as an, a very emotional role, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's Holden. So it's interesting in that way for the character. And what's nice is that she's the, probably the most qualified in that group to be in charge or be the leader. And I, I love that it plays on that as well, where you've got this woman in with a group of guys and she clearly makes the best suggestions and, and stuff, but it's kind of still still ignored. <laughs> right. I mean, one of the great lines is when she is trying to take charge and nobody's doing anything. And she says, like, what does everybody need? Need a back rub? <laughs> it's like my favorite. As soon as I read that in the script, I was like, yes. And I love that they kind of get all kind of amused with it. And they're like, oh, yeah, shit, we should be doing something. For Naomi, there's no, it's kind of, there is an agenda for her, I feel. She's like. She is just going about her life the way she knows. And I don't think she's really phased by the fact that there's no other women there, you know? I think she sees the yeah. guys as equals, which is what I love about her, and I love the character. Does your PhD in applied physics come in handy? And also electrical engineering, by the way. Can't forget that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, weirdly enough, for this show, it, it, it kind of does. It certainly means that I, I, you know, certain things don't have to get explained to me. I don't know if you've read the novel, yeah. but uh, Ty Frank and, and Daniel Abraham, who are collectively James S.A. Corey, they're both very technically minded, and they bake that into the books. And I think that when, when I was brought in to, to run the series, I think it was just a happy marriage because maybe a lot of people would have shied away from doing it the way that we've been doing it, but but my feeling was we had the opportunity to turn space into a character in, in this show in a way that it really hadn't been done before or had been done so incredibly wrong so many times. <laughs> you probably, <laughs> probably have to go back to the guy who got it right was Stanley Kubrick in 2001. And that movie was made in 1968. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's given the show, I think a really unique signature and, um, and people just seem to love it. We did it. We did a panel actually at Caltech last night about the science on the expanse and, and the science people are just they're when you know conservation of momentum gets a big cheer from the audience it's like you go wow all right i guess we're, we're speaking to uh, to our tribe here <laughs> <laughs> well you've been on uh, the writing staff of several of the star trek spinoffs as well as one of our favorite shows of all time farscape all of which take place in space like the expanse so is there something that draws you to space drama in particular and how does the experience of producing this show differ from those others. Boy, thanks for the shout out to Farscape. Um, that was that was an absolutely delightful show and, and really a beautiful, beautiful series in so many ways. And um, I find myself drawn to the genre constantly. I grew up loving the original Star Trek series. It's probably one of the reasons I became an engineer. I think it, I think it inspired me the way it did a lot of scientific people. It always seems to be a touchstone. 
And so when I came into the business and I got my start in Star Trek The Next Generation, that was kind of like a dream come true. And I spent probably about the first 10 years of my career on on those shows, on Star Trek, on Farscape, on The Outer Limits. And after at that time, I think science fiction in Hollywood was considered a little bit more of a it was it was a little ghettoized actually. It was more of a, you know, a specialty niche genre kind of a thing that didn't translate to other things and so just to broaden my experience in the business, I started branching out and I ended up doing cop shows for a long time, um, you know, running CSI for eight years. I guess that's a pretty sciencey show as well, I guess, in some <laughs> yeah, way. That's right. <laughs> um, but what happened was after I left CSI, I really was feeling that pull of genre because I thought um, I absolutely adored Battlestar Galactic. I was very jealous of my good friend Ron Moore for, for I really wished I'd been on that show with him um, because and that was like happening at the same time as CSI. And, um, and I just felt the pull back to the genre because what you were able to do visually on screen had expanded so massively. You know, it enabled you to, to realize it at a visual level uh, in a way that it had never really been done before. Um, and when the expanse came along, it was just really you know, exactly the right time with the right people, and um, and here we are. Here we are indeed, and I'm so glad Naren was uh, able to share with us some insight into his journey as a showrunner because I didn't know he was on CSI until he told me that, and also the fact that you could tell he's a sci-fi nerd just like the rest of us. So we're going to go on next with an audio clip from all three of our contributors, including the new content from Sheree Agdashlu and Frankie Adams. And we're going to start off again with Dominique, who's going to tell us a little bit about Naomi's engineering skills. Because back then when we talked to her in season one, it was clear that she was going to have some real technology skills that were going to be helpful to the crew and also just make her kind of a kick-ass techie character. And then we're going to move on to Sheree and Frankie to talk about the direction for their characters heading into season four, because they are not able to share a lot with us yet, but it does give us a little bit of a hint of what we might see when The Expanse returns to Amazon Prime Video on December 13th. So we do have a little white ways to wait, but at least it gives us a little hint. And then we're going to toss it back over to Naren Shankar once again, who's going to talk about some of the greatest aspects of the show, the realistic use of gravity and how some of the weapons and the battles that we see in the expanse are the best on television. One thing I really like also about her character is the fact that you are this engineer pulling off amazing MacGyver, like improvisational repair skills, (laughs) especially with a, you know, a notebook and a, and a welding gun. Uh, are we going to see a lot of that type of stuff from her? Yeah, I think what's kind of gangster about Naomi is that she's self-taught. So this is not a girl that's, you know, been privileged and has gone to school and and been put through engineer school. She's done tutorials online. Like, she taught herself how to be an engineer. So for me, it was very much a means to escape from whatever she's running from. And it was it was a way of her being distracted from whatever else was going on in her life at that time, if that makes sense. You know, very much like, for instance, a single mom that's got a few kids and, and, and wants to better her life and so puts herself through school. Like, that's the way I see Naomi. Like, she's taught herself how to be an engineer. So she's not entirely by the book, but she's, she's also 
exceptional by the book, if that makes sense. Yeah. So she can do those little improvisational things that maybe no one else can. Maybe someone that's been to the school doesn't have that skill set of being like a little bit of a rebel and going, let's just try this. So I think you, there is definitely a lot of Naomi using that kind of side of her knowledge of engineering, which I think is entirely her own. Now, I'm always curious, did you see the show for the first time along with the fans, you know, the completed uh, edit? Um, yes. The first time I saw it finished was at um, Comic-Con. So I watched it backstage while everyone out front watched it. And it made me nervous to go on stage. Me and Wes had seen it for the first time, partly because I was in London and he was working when we had a screening of it. But everyone else had seen it. And we sat backstage and watched it together and we were just like, holy shit, once we'd (laughs) seen it. And then we got to go out and like answer questions about it. And it was so, I don't know, it just felt so good because it was like everyone's here to see it and it's fantastic. And I get to go out and answer questions about something that I thought was going to be really good, but it definitely is good from watching it. So, um, yeah, I, I watched it for the first time with, I don't know if everyone was fans, there was definitely a lot of, you know, journalists there and stuff, but I got to watch it with everyone who watched it at Comic-Con, which was awesome. And it was my first Comic-Con as well, so it was great. Now, Sheree, uh, Avasarala has always been the power behind the throne of the UN, but presumably her rise to the top in season four will actually be probably more restrictive than it was in the past for her life. Is that true? Well... The more important you are, the more uh, important uh, job you're holding, it's, it becomes more and more restrictive, of course. And you've got to be more careful. And uh, that's what uh, Arasarla is trying to do this year. Absolutely. We are expanding. And it is called the expanse. So as we're expanding, our problems are expanding with us too. Expanding, exactly. And we're becoming more and more... Uh, sort of aware uh, of the fact that if we do not take care of our planet, soon we're going to lose it. So, yes, it is becoming more restrictive because there are now more people involved and we need to communicate with each and every one of them. Making people aware of what's going on is really a battle one-on-one. That's right. And, Frankie, you must be having a hard time with all of these press junkets, because there's really not a whole lot you can say about what Bobby is up to. Is that right? Yeah, because she's not in book four, and uh, the writers wrote a wonderful storyline for me for season four, but yeah, (laughs) it's nothing that you would have seen before, and I don't know if anyone will guess what she's up to this season, which, which will be quite thrilling, I think, once it all comes out. But yeah, I've kind of just been really vague and excited. (laughs) (laughs) the space battle in the season one episode cqb was one of the most amazing things i've seen on tv so how are you able to work with the visual effects guys to give the expanse this signature look to make it different from say battlestar galactica or star wars where we see those same kind of dog fights you know it's really one of the things that was that i wanted to do from the very beginning Because as enjoyable as Star Wars is, and Battlestar Galactica did some things differently, but at the end of the day, what they really were, were, you know, newsreel footage, World War II fighter carrier battles in the Pacific. That's what it was. 
and the ships moved that way. Galactica did some things that were really cool that, that moved much more like little spaceships. But at the end of the day, they had gravity plating and all that stuff that, you know, that it doesn't matter. It, 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 and, and actually, in reality, it wasn't even important to what that story was because that's, that's not what it was about. But with The Expanse, the way Ty and Daniel wrote it and the way I wanted to capture it on screen was when space is a character, when you really delve into it, you don't have tractor beams. Lasers are shitty weapons. <laughs> you don't have deflector shields. The best way to hit to hurt something is to throw something at it incredibly fast. It's like, <laughs> these are kinetic energy weapons, and this is like you know our battles are basically battles from the age of sail, and the distances are vast. Um, how you approach things is is completely different, and it never really been captured uh, in a series before, and so it was a great opportunity. And so you know I, I work really extensively and, and intimately with uh, Bob Monroe and his visual effects team to capture that because our ships, it's like it's all done on maneuvering thrusters, basically. It's like because they're moving around each other. They can't go really fast. They have to be around a station. You know, you're respecting the gravity when it turns on and off when you're uh, not on thrust or when you're in thrust. And it's really beautiful when you see that ship getting hit. Even to the extent of like the trail of particles behind them, and when the ship hits thrust, all of the particles go down. Right. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there's, a, there's a level of detail in it that is just so much fun because it doesn't have all of the typical jargon and you know fire phasers now and photon. None of that stuff is there. Shields up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and we really try so hard to make sure that that stuff is right. Like you know, you, you reference CQB that scene. We had to talk to the directors about how fast the railgun is moving because it was hard to, for them to understand. It's like literally, literally what happened was you're in mid-sentence and then boom, it just goes it's go, boom, it just goes right through the cabin because it's going at an appreciable fraction of the speed of light. And, <laughs> and as a result, the way it's conveyed in the show is you're sitting there talking to somebody and the sentence just stops and suddenly he doesn't have a head. Right. <laughs> and, and, and there are two holes in the compartment where none were before and you've barely heard anything and you look up and there's a line that goes straight through the ship out into space. So those things you never get to see on television and it's so much fun to be able to do them because the drama's all still there. The battles are all still there. They just haven't been, been expressed this way before. All right. Boy, that really still stands as one of my most favorite interview answers I've ever gotten because, I don't know, it just really resonated with me the way he talked about lasers sucking as weapons and stuff like that. It, it was a very memorable part of the interview. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. And we're going to get back to some new content from Sheree and Frankie to end up our podcast. But I'd like to share two more clips from our earlier interviews. The first, again, is from Dominique, talking a little bit about how her dancing background helps her with some of the wire work that they have to do in the expanse. And then Naren is going to talk a little bit about how the farther they get into the series, especially since new books keep coming out, although the expanse series has wrapped up in book form, does that make it harder or easier for him? Now this answer was given of course in season two, but I think it still applies as more and more of the expanse books came out and how it's progressing through book four as we get into expanse season four. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Dominique and Naren with their answers from earlier interviews. Right now, obviously there's a lot of action in the show and you've got an extensive career as a dancer. So I guess, does the physicality of that art form help you with the action sequences, which obviously includes wire work and includes a lot of choreographed steps? Yeah. I mean, it massively helps. I've, I mean, to be honest, like, actually in this show, like, most of the stuff that I've done that's been action-based has been wire work. And it helps because with all the zero-G stuff, really, you know, we have to look like we're floating, but we're hanging by our privates in the air on a wire, and it's not that much fun, but we still have to make it look like we're floating and make it look elegant. So I think with having a choreographer there and and him talking us through stuff, it was definitely easy for me to take that kind of direction, but it's very different to learning sets and executing them. Like it's a very different discipline. So it helped me in some ways for sure. But then in some ways I was just kind of like with everyone else. Cause I hadn't done that much wire work before. I'd only done a little bit. So for sure it helps with me whenever I get into the physicality of the character, to be honest. And with Naomi, she's very pulled up and tall and holds herself with an air of, I don't know, like majesticness, if that's a word. Yeah. So, you know, in that sense, it's like I, to play with physicality of characters, whatever character I'm playing, my dance background definitely helps with that. Now, of course, a big reason that you're able to build from that is because you have five novels. Well, I guess... It, now six to work from since yep. the last, mm-hmm. last one came out in December. Mm-hmm. Does this actually make breaking the season in the writer's room easier or is it more restrictive? Because so far it's been remarkably true to the source material. And is it going to get farther abreast as we go through future seasons? It makes it easier and makes it harder, you know, <laughs> at different times. And you know, the funny thing is, is that it, I've heard people describe it that way. It's a really faithful adaptation. It's a kind of a faithful adaptation. It's extremely faithful to the spirit of the books. And it's very faithful to the big plot moves. But if you read the books very, very closely, 
we have changed chronology. We have brought characters forward. We've invented storylines. We've done a lot of things quite differently. Yet, we end up in the same places. And we've incorporated the novellas. We've done any number of things that don't actually exist in the novels. But it's one of the great things about having Ty and Daniel in the room with us on staff because it enables us to deepen and enrich the story in a way that kind of a a more plot-focused action-adventuring novel tends not to do as much. But Ty and Daniel are there to make sure we don't break anything going forward. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's actually a really nice combination. But I don't know how often or, or how common it is in this business to have the novel authors like on board that way. And to their credit, so incredibly open to adapting their work to a completely different medium and understanding the different needs really, really well. I think what it's enabled us to do is make a very faithful to the spirit adaptation of The Expanse, but giving it its own identity in a way that the fans really do seem to be responding to. All right, and I think that answer still does hold true into season four as we get farther into the book series and the TV series it does still hold up as a very faithful adaptation, but each has its own identity. And I have finished reading the entire series and boy, if they even do half of what the expanse books do in the final novels, I I just hope we get to see those in television form because we could see a lot of seasons to come if that's true, but we're going to end up with our last batch of new content. And this is real doozy. You want to stick around for this entire clip. It's just a very family dynamic on the expanse set. And a big part of that is Sheree Agdashlu acting as kind of the mother to the cast. And it's great that Sheree and Frankie were in the same room for this interview because we were able to see a little bit of that dynamic as I asked them a little bit about their favorite parts of being on the expanse, favorite aspects of their characters. And also just what's it like being on set after four years and the family that they've built with the other cast members. Now, Sheree, it sounds like your character might be having a difficult time this season, but what is it that you, Sheree Agdashlu, will still have fun with the most in playing this character? Well, uh, what you can give an actor the best gift. You can give a, a female actor, give her a full dimensional role. And she would feel like she's, she's in a basket of honey. <laughs> uh, I, I love this character for its uh, intensity and its. Uh, she's a mother. She's a lover. She's a politician. She's extremely educated. She speaks ten languages, and uh, she is she is a true public servant, and that's the part that I love about her. And she keeps pounding on it. Like, I am not the one who would be expecting money from private sectors. I'm not looking for a payoff at the end of the day. I'm a public servant. I work for the people. And I remember when I was young, my grandmother used to say that uh, a life without service is not a life. Now, as Avatar Allah, I totally understand what she meant. A life without service is not a life. If you don't serve people, then it's just a self-focused life and it's going to go into vain. But if you take a step and do something, then most probably your life is not going into vain. And Frankie, same question for you. What is the 
evolution for Bobby been for you as an actor? How have you enjoyed playing her? And what, what are the best aspects of the character for you? Similar to Avastrala, she's got she's a full-dimensional character. And, and I think at the beginning, she was slightly naive, I think, to serving Mars. And that was her sole purpose. She's incredibly honorable. And um, you saw a lot of that. And then I think it's once she meets Avastrala and goes to Earth, where she feels quite betrayed and she starts to take control of her own destiny. And that's been really exciting for me because it's nothing that I could ever guess. Every time I get the script, I turn the page and I think, oh, oh, Bobby is a... She's got some some confidence behind her now and she's not afraid to use her opinion and she trusts other Sorella and she's learned a lot from her. So I think she's always growing. I think she's grown into a woman that I'm really proud of. I think she probably didn't expect that this is where her life would be now, but um, I think it's for the better that she has uh, finally let go of Mars and is, is doing her own thing. Didn't I tell you about <laughs> It's Michael. Yeah, there's a scene which I love with Frankie in which I'm trying to recruit her to Earth, and she says that you're my enemy, and I tell her, I am not your enemy. Mm-hmm. So you finally... Finally, yeah, I, guess, I guess we can be. That Abasola truly, truly <laughs> loves you. When Abasola sees in Barbie, I guess it's uh, uh, she sees a lot of herself in Barbie when she was uh, when she was young. Most probably, mm. she was very much like Barbie. That's why she loves Barbie, and so do I. She's like my daughter. <laughs> Well, in fact, I get the sense that Frankie and Kara and Dominique and maybe even some of the guys are like your children in the cast family. Oh, we're all her children. <laughs> yeah, it's um, sons of Abba Sarala and daughters of Abba Sarala. Yeah. All together, children of Abba Sarala. Yes. It's very yeah. much like that in real life also. We, we're all, she's, she's Mama Show Ray for all of us. Exactly. I'm very proud. But I could only give birth to one. So, the best brought me all of them. Sons and daughters and everything else. And I'm very, very grateful and thankful about it. Now, with having an Emmy Award winning and Academy Award nominating actress on the set, Frankie, do you and others uh, see her as a mentor and and look up to her in that sense uh, from an acting perspective? Absolutely. I think... I think- we would be silly not to um, see Shoray in that way. I'm constantly inspired by her. As an actress, I get challenged, and I think I only feel like I'm getting better being around Shoray and learning not only a lot as an actress, but as a woman. Um, I was really young when I joined the show, and every time I see her, she goes, look at her. She's growing into a woman before our eyes. <laughs> and, uh, and it's very true. You know? and, and so in both the acting world and in real life, I think all of us are constantly inspired by Shorey and really respect and love what she has done for the industry and just for us in our personal lives. Thank you. Michael, when she joined us, she was only 23. And I kept telling everyone, 22. And I kept telling everyone, she's 22. And she was like, why do you embarrass me? Why do you (laughs) tell people how old I am? And I kept telling her, sweetheart, you should be proud of yourself at the age of 22. And such an amazing TV series. We We need to tell people so they would know how talented, how amazing you are. So you could be a part of this huge show at the age of 22. 
Mm. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who else could play Bobby Draper. I mean, she's like perfect for the character. If you've read the book, so. Honestly, I cannot think of anybody else to play this role. <laughs> I think uh, Frankie was was born to play this role. Yes. Yeah. I, I have one last question, Sheree, uh, because I'm sure you've been asked this a lot, but even though sci-fi did give Avasarala more and more freedom to curse like a sailor the way she does in the books as the seasons went yeah. on, will the fact that the show is on a subscription service allow her to show even more of this fan-favorite aspect of her character? Absolutely, Michael. We are going global and we're going to curse and cause more because there are <laughs> more problems. And the people who have no idea of what they're getting our planet into are, are cursing and cutting more and more. And so, yes, yes, we're global now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's something to look forward to. Well, thanks, ladies, for joining me today. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Michael. Have a lovely day. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. And, of course, I forgot to mention that in the intro to this set of clips. But, yes, it's so refreshing to know that because The Expanse is now on Amazon Prime Video, Avasarala can curse up a storm (laughs) with impunity. So it's something to look forward to. And we are happy that we were able to share this Expanse interview mashup as we wait for the Expanse season four to return on December 13th of this year. And as we wait for Sci-Fi Fidelity to return in a couple of weeks. So we have one more bonus episode to share with you. And that's going to be another discussion topic reprise. This time we're going to be revisiting our favorite apocalypses that we wouldn't mind living in another great discussion topic from very early on in the super six format for our discussion topics but that of course is going to be it for this episode of sci-fi fidelity keep the discussion going on social media during the hiatus you can follow den of geek on twitter and facebook at den of geek us and we are at sci-fi fidelity in the meantime we'd love it if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you access it and be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week with another bonus episode, one more before we return for Sci-Fi Fidelity Season 5 with all new content. <laughs>